Today, on this episode of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. Breast cancer, especially young women with breast cancer, um, have so much going on in their life. You know, I think a breast oncologist holds a special uh, position to help these folks. Today, Dr. Yuan Yuan, an oncologist, joins the podcast to discuss topics in breast cancer in this edition of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. We'd like to hear from you. Are you a doctor, nurse, pharmacist, or other medical professional with a great journey to medicine story? Tell us your story of how you got started in a medical career for an opportunity to be featured on the podcast. Send an audio recording of up to four minutes of your journey to medicine story and include your name, degree, specialty, practice setting, and location. You can also submit a text version of your story and we can read it for you. Email your story to us at editorial at pvroundup.com for a chance to be featured on a future episode. I'm your host, Senior VP, Medical Director, Dr. Tim Wright, and joining me today on the podcast is Dr. Yuan Yuan. Dr. Yuan is a hematologist-oncologist at the Samuel Ashin Cancer Center in Los Angeles, California. She is also the Director of the Breast Medical Oncology Medicine Department and the Medical Director at Breast Oncology Disease Research Group. Dr. Yuan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, it's a great pleasure to be here, Dr. Wright. So the first question I usually ask folks is, is, can you describe your clinical practice setting and the scope of your practice? Yes, thank you. Um, I have been taking care of breast cancer patients for the last decade, and I am a um, breast medical oncologist designated for this population. And, and I'm always interested in others' paths to their career in medicine. Can you share yours? Long path. <laughs> um, I have. I came from China many years ago. Um, I was um, I graduated from medical school there and went to a graduate school in Beijing to study lung cancer cell apoptosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had took a different path. Went to UC Riverside um, in 1997 uh, as a PhD student in the Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. And after that, did um, postdoc study at uh, Scripps, um, studying immunology and cancer. So then I went, um, you know, I went to, again back to the, came back to the clinical world, um, taking my trainings in internal medicine and uh, hematology oncology, um, just being fascinated by the opportunity to embrace new drugs, new opportunities, and really apply all of the basic sciences into the clinic. So it was very blessed to be in this field for the last, I think, over 13 years. And if I may, why specifically breast cancer? Breast cancer, I felt like I'm connected. Um, being a woman myself, um, and I through the fellowship, I also had an opportunity to participate in rotations at Memorial Sloan Kettering, who is uh, the, the, the best oncologist in the world. So I'm always feeling that the breast cancer, especially young women with breast cancer, mm-hmm. Um, having so much going on in their life. You know, I think a breast oncologist holds a special uh, position to help these folks. Right. And so with so many topics in breast cancers, I'm wondering if you could indulge me and and sort of take me from a patient who's initially diagnosed through, say, genetic testing to treatment to post-treatment care and sort of we can branch off that way. I just think for a gestalt, that might be a good way to start a conversation. Yes. So is that to... Uh, to further clarify, is to talk about the process that they're going through, the challenges, yeah. or well, and I mean just sort of medically also. I mean, I, I am assuming that almost everybody gets first diagnosed from mammogram. Is that correct? 
correct, but sometimes um, they may screening mammography is great in catching early disease, but there are times patient may present with relatively aggressive tumor they found helping them uh, lump themselves. Or some stories, grandma was holding grandchildren and it felt something on the breast. Okay. So there's a variety of presentation. And about 10% of the cases patient presented with bone pain, you know, may have already have metastatic disease. So, yes. All right. And so from that point on, I think that you could sort of take us through sort of the what the patient journey is medically and, and maybe also your experience with what patients may be experiencing as well. Yeah, that's a broad question. I'll try my best. Okay. So from the point of um, diagnosis, I think as a patient, um, the first step is to have imaging. Um, right always involve imaging guided biopsy to understand the stage and uh, the type of breast cancer they have and the meet with their team. The first team they usually meet would be a, a surgeon mm-hmm. and uh, they would often be referred, depends on the stage, receptor status. If sometimes surgeon, you know, felt a, a you know, pre-surgical uh, systemic therapy such as chemo is indicated, then they will be introduced to breast uh, medical oncologists earlier, or plastic surgery or radiation oncology. So I think the modern treatment is truly a, a multidisciplinary care. There will be a care team, and often um, younger women may have to consider other things, such as fertility preservation. They have to cram for that precious time to get everything done. So often they're experiencing lots of fear, stress. Why me? You know, uh, why why this disease? Why me? And then also, uh, of course, for young women, or even nowadays with genetic testing being ever being available, genetic counseling testing often involves um, in their care. So it's been a complex process and often lots of anxiety, lots of um, a great support system definitely help. And um, um, patients often felt information overload. So social worker involvement helped them to orchestrate um, some of the tasks, um, patient navigator, you know, often it will be very helpful. Then they will go through, it depends on the stage, we can maybe use uh, a, a, a scenario, a young woman with early stage triple negative breast cancer um, have to get chemotherapy first. So often they will go through um, pre-chemo assessment, a, a port placement, echocardiogram, CTs, um, brain MRI, breast MRI, excuse me, and also they have to go through blood tests to in order to make sure they are healthy to start, right. and then they will go through four to six months of intensive chemotherapy, may experience symptoms of hair loss, nausea, vomiting, neuropathy, uh, mood swings, and um, you know, and also sometimes fatigue, not you know being able not able to work as usual. Uh, their psychosocial scenarios, the ability to take care of family, take care of children. So all comes in. And when that is over, they would often get to OR for surgery with a recovery time um, goes from anywhere from two weeks to three to four weeks. After that, they will meet with a surgical team and breast oncology team again to look at the surgical pathology, to evaluate how much they have achieved and does does any more therapies indicated? Oftenly so. About, you know, I would say in the modern treatment, about half of the patient okay. may achieve a complete pathological response, which is a great thing, um, indicating better prognosis, um, less chance of recurrence. But the rest of the half of the patients still have to deal with more treatment, maybe more chemo, more immunotherapy. 
and this um, ever felt like being injured in prolonged treatment. Yeah. And and more challenge actually comes after when they wrap up. And of course, the breast morphology changes, cosmetic outcome, how they view themselves. Um, the recovery takes time. And often the patients are really being bothered by so-called chemo brain, a lot of cognition, memory changes, um, weight gain. So it is, it is a life-changing event. Um, again, it's a difficult journey to, to go through. Um, but I think positive attitude really always help in this process. And I'm going to sort of say that I'm of an age, I'm old enough to remember when you said triple negative to a patient, that was like, it's time to get your affairs in order. And, and that clearly has changed a bit. Can you sort of go from in the beginning of your career to where we are now with say triple negative? Yes, that's a great question. So um, 10 years ago, we, or maybe for 30 years, we were struggling. We did not have a better therapy. All we got is that dose dense ACT. And maybe CARBO was added um, eight years ago with more data uh, point toward better efficacy in triple negative breast cancer. And then the true breakthrough came in two years ago, uh, or maybe last year, I was wrong, 2021, we have first ever immunotherapy ever come into the space of early stage triple negative breast cancer and also advanced stage. So this is a, considered a true breakthrough. Um, if we compare the efficacy, um, the older chemotherapy regimen, um, you can you can use maybe a surrogate biomarker of survival using that pathological complete response rate, meaning um, what is our the likelihood of when to kill all the cancer cell by the time of surgery, um, the pathologist couldn't find any alive invasive cancer. That's called a that's a really a holy grail of neoadjuvant treatment. And the conventional treatment, the success rate ranging between 40 to 50%, that's it. But by adding immunotherapy, unleash the immune, the power of immune cells to help the chemo, chemotherapy to do a better job. So now we can, we're looking at 68, seven, sometimes 70% of success rate. Wow. Yeah. And that brings me to sort of another question. Obviously, it seems like maybe patient expectations have sort of evolved um, about treatment in breast cancer um, because I'm sure, like you said, a lot of these patients get very curious and very involved in, in their treatment. So I would imagine that patients are sort of demanding better results in one regard or at least hoping for them. Oh, absolutely. Not only demanding better, higher PCR they also demand a better tools in the adjuvant setting. The, the most common question I always get when they come back to follow up, they're like, how can you tell I'm cancer free? And all we got is the current pretty stiff guidelines stating that, you know, no frequent imaging doesn't save life. Uh, frequent biomarker or blood test does not save life. So we're trying to stick with evidence-based medicine. But at the meantime, the huge patient demand of molecular testing, like liquid biopsy, circulating tumor cells, circulating um, tumor DNA, but these are not ready for prime time. So we're optimally spending, I would say, not hours, but at least a good half an hour to discuss the current lack of um, uh, you know, effective tools. So that's a, a lot of area in needs. Yeah. 
Right. I mean, that's actually one of those interesting truisms in medicine. It's sort of like, okay, don't order a test unless you know what you're going to do with the results of the test and, and, or sometimes the test isn't that great. So don't order it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you kind of brought me to my, my next topic that I'm sort of being respectful of your time is that where do you see the treatment of breast cancer, particularly triple negative sort of heading and what's got you most excited? Yes, that's. Uh, I felt like you read the most recent FDA approval. So the most exciting part is that we finally have um, antibody drug conjugates, which is, you know, in the chemotherapy conventionally, it's not only toxic, sometimes they are not effective. So how can we leverage our knowledge of those cancer cells and make a smarter drugs? So these drug antibody conjugates, they're just like, um, a smart delivery. I, I usually call them a designer drug. You combine this specific antibody recognizing cell surface biomarkers such as TROP2, such as HER2, and then you design this drug antibody conjugates to have this soldier carry this bullet. The bullet is the chemotherapy drug. And then these drugs do not get released in the peripheral blood. But when it gets to the target, they will be internalized engulfed in and go to lysosome because the pH of the lysosome is low. So you get unloaded there. So it's really effective treatment, less toxicity and great efficacy. So when we come back to the topic of triple negative breast cancer, we have now um, two indications. One is a TROP2 targeting agents called tessacituzumab govitecan. It's been approved, showed overall survival benefit in that setting. And also the second drug, um, August of 2022, we finally have the HER2 low targeting drug, um, uh, which is HER2 uh, trastuzumab directs TCAN, finally approved. It's a broad approval. HER2 low counts for 50% of all breast cancer. So this is a really remarkable changes. Whereas a very, if you look at the curve, overall survival and uh, PFS, uh, their progression-free survival is largely separating. So it's not a small degree of success. It's quite remarkable. And now this is really reshake our old dogma of defining the breast into three buckets, triple negative, HER2 positive, and ER positive. Now we can shake it, mix it, and divide them into HER2 low or HER2 zero. So... Um, so in that setting, we have really great uh, breakthrough. And I now we're anticipating these agents will not only stay in the metastatic setting, they're getting moved to adjuvant, maybe to neoadjuvant, wow. maybe to be combined with, with um, immunotherapy. Because all of these ADCs, ADCs may have this old ADCC, you know, activating the natural killer cells, maybe they're viewed as a novel immunotherapy. So, so we will see a bunch of adjuvant trials and even neoadjuvant trials, maybe in the few years, those patients who we did not achieve complete pathological response after first rounds of treatment, after surgery, they can get these novel ADCs. So ultimate goal is that we don't want to see recurrence. We want to get rid of the chance. So we want to see a chance of maybe even getting to these folks before they metastasize or... Yes, that's a goal. Amazing. Because I mean, the old adage that I remember from is that general chemo is like carpet bombing, just like indiscriminately, you know, we're going to kill good cells and bad cells. And we hope we kill enough of the bad cells to justify killing the good cells. And now we're literally zoning in uh, and in one regard, tricking the cancer cells to sort of take in what's going to undo them. 
Yep. That is some really exciting stuff. And I'd certainly like to ask you, you know, when more of these advances come down the pipeline, we'd love to have you back. Oh, absolutely. And you actually have a number of uh, lining up the targets, the Hearst 380C and Live One. It's just a, I think the ADC's era is coming. So it's very, very exciting. Thank you so much. No, thank you. And, and we look forward to talking to you again, hopefully next year when we have more exciting things to talk about. Absolutely, Dr. Wright. That's such a great pleasure and I really appreciate it. Take care. And that's today's episode of the Specialist Spotlight. Thank you for joining us. For more stories like these, visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions? Please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing Medical News Roundup and just ask, what's my Flash Briefing? Thanks today to our guest, Dr. Yuan Yuan, and to Norm Dion, Sean Mullen, and Kate Rio for production assistance. Join me next time for an episode where we'll cover the latest stories in the world of medicine. <laughs>